What's your gender? Girl. Boy. A boy. A girl. Girl. I'm a boy. What does being a boy mean? It means that um, you can uh, use a lot of uh, boy stuff when you get stuff from toy shops. And what does being a girl mean to you? I think it was just as much as being a boy. Well, as a girl, I like to do drawing and I like lots of colours. I love I feel like girls are better than boys and girls kind of rule the world. La 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 You are now tuned in to the Unwind the Line podcast from Red Feather Studios. <laughs> I'm your host, Ali Pham, and I'm here with my amazing co-hosts, Aviv Rao. Hey y'all! And Justin Campos. Okay, so first I want to say, explain why those are only British children talking. <laughs> it really we was are. I thought it was just one British kid, that. and I was like, okay, like sometimes, like yeah. sometimes British kids end up <laughs> yeah. in America, yeah, yeah. and like, then the British continued. classmates, I could snap. Yeah, and but, also yeah. the poor quality. This is because no, okay, fun. what happened was I was in an airport flying back from um, Madrid this summer, and uh-huh. I had a eight hour layover in in um, a London airport and Uh so I was like what am I gonna do with this time (laughs) record (laughs) for the podcast (laughs) um yeah so we went around to all these British okay this was great because there was like a hub of them because you know how in airports there's like the child oh, the center. center. Only in European here. airports. <laughs> no, Boston Logan has one too. Really? really? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. The yeah. Atlanta airport does yeah, that. So they're like crawling around and of course like all the parents are like kind of yeah helicopter around. parents shout out to future episode <laughs> we're all like around the area while you know yeah, closely watching. watching their kids <laughs> so I would approach the parent and I would be like hey um i have kind of a strange request um i'm working on a podcast about gender in young children i was wondering if i could just ask your kid a couple Uh questions about how they perceive their gender and some most parents were down yeah um and then i also went up to some yeah, the kids were some were quite excited. A couple got too nervous when oh, the hand record when the recorder turned on. Um, oh, actually, also why it's bad quality. I was not using the hand recorder. I didn't. I like forgot to put it in my. Oh, yeah, it was on my phone. Um, but okay, something I I noticed about them, and I didn't include all of them, was how like every time girls talked about their gender, it was in relation to like being different to boys yeah. or like being totally. even like yeah. being better than a boy it was just the fact that like the the yeah. they always compared it S- saw themselves uh, in relation yeah. to being different than like yeah it's like i'm a girl because i'm different than a yeah boy, and some of, of the boys did that too like one of them is he's a little hard to hear was like it means i'm stronger than my sister Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so that was kind of a little hint at this episode, but what we're actually really going to get into today is the topic of um, kind of more gender open forms of raising children. Yeah. Yeah. Woo-hoo. So we've got kind of two rounds of guests coming on for you today. Very, very exciting. The first round is a round table discussion. Hey. 
we love a good roundtable. We sure do. <laughs> You're going to be hearing lots of roundtable round discussions this season. Um, <laughs> yes, a big yes. fave form of ours. Um, except it did not occur at the table. It occurred over Skype where people were like, I think we were mostly all on different time zones. Um, so cool. But it was me. It yeah, it worked out. Um <laughs> It was me and then three parents who are using gender open parenting techniques. We'll get into what that means a little later, but just like a brief, quick thing. It basically, um, the child's biological sex is not really disclosed and the child grows, begins childhood using they, them pronouns and it then is given the option to choose what pronouns to slash gender they want to have, um as they go about their life. And then um, our second guest is a researcher, um, Ben Kenward, who studied gender, like preschools who kind of used Mm -hmm. this idea, Um, not in the sense that they were using they, them pronouns um, for all of the children, but just not making gender a salient thing in the classroom. So they would never be like, oh, the way we're going to split up for this activity is boys and girls. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And really encouraging children to play with kids of all genders awesome. and really encouraging children to, like, not, like, like ch- young childhood is so gendered in, like, what yeah, kids wear completely. and what kids should play yeah, with. Totally. And so they're really encouraging, yeah. like, like getting out of those binaries. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so this researcher went and directly to Sweden and interacted with some preschools there and we'll hear from him. And um it was awesome because the the three parents that we got for this um round table discussion was kind of a, a wild goose chase for a hot sack over the <laughs> summer. Like I emailed this um this couple who maybe you're familiar with them, but um because they're pretty internet famous, we were just doing a little Oh yeah. Internet. Oh <laughs> so we were oh, they're yeah. famous. Yeah. Um they have a <laughs> whole brand. They yeah, they have a whole <laughs> brand and blog about kind of, about raising Zoomer, which um um, is what they named their child. Is, that yeah. is their kid's biological name. They are raising Zoomer. Yes. Like, literally. <laughs> Zoomer um, coyote. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, but Sounds anyway, amazing. I had... That was kind of the only... or a family that I had read about a lot and Mm -hmm. seemed like they were into the idea of receiving media attention. So um, I shot them an email and the father, Brent, got back to me. It was so polite, but was just kind of like, we don't have time for this right now. You're too small potatoes, thanks. (laughs) No, not really. Um, But but, um, anyway, he gave me names of other people to contact who might be interested and eventually I got into contact with Zoe um, and they are actually the parent who kind of put this whole roundtable together and brought in two other guests, Bobby and Adine, who are parents in their parenting group. Um, How this discussion worked is they all came up with questions for each other. Oh, love Um, it. Here we go. So I'm, uh, I'm Bobby, um, he, him. I'm Zoe, they, them. Adine, uh, she, her. All right. So I'm going to actually start off with the first question. So that is, what does being a parent of they babies mean to you? And what kind of is this mode of parenting? For us, what that meant is that we were going to let our child 
decide their gender from the get-go. We were going to use they, them pronouns until or if they decide that there's a pronoun that's a better fit. Mm -hmm. And most of that was just letting our child be who they are. And as much as we could to mitigate the stereotypes that come when people associate your child with a particular gender. Very succinct. I think the only thing I would add is that I think that there's a different path for everyone. So for example, with my first two kids, um, they have a, a medically assigned sex on their birth certificates. For my third child, they don't have a gender marker or a sex assignment on their birth certificate. So they're just different approaches. It depends on where people are living and what they have access to. Uh, like What I think I've seen in the last two years is many more um, parents and babies approaching their parenting, including a legal route, so trying to not have a gender associated with things like um, health cards or social insurance yeah. cards, birth certificates. Um, my kid is four. I have one kid who's four years old. And I couldn't even conceptualize that at the time. Like, it didn't even occur to me that that might be possible. Mm -hmm. But I've been inspired by some of the parents who have younger kids to um, now I've started just blocking it off when I, like, I just registered my kid for kindergarten, mm -hmm. and I had to give a copy of medical records, and I just covered up the sex yeah. on that and did not give them. But this is the first time I think I've been really pursuing more an institutional thing around their, their assigned legal sex. Some parents are, like, won't disclose what the genitals of their baby are to anyone, uh -huh. or try to restrict access to seeing what's under the baby's diaper. And I think other parents are much more free than that. Yeah. And they're more like, it doesn't matter what genitals my kid has. Right. That's, that's, that's not a secret. Yeah. I still don't know my kid's gender. And I think there's no judgment from any of us on which I found like strategically keeping genitals private works a lot better. Cause I found as soon as people know what's in my kid's diaper or underwear, they most often start, even if they were using they, them pronouns before, then they start using a gender pronouns. Mm -hmm. But I don't like the idea that gets in media around how it's, it's not that it's a secret. I'm not keeping my kid's gender a secret. Yeah, Their genitals are private, just like everybody's genitals are private. Mm -hmm. And their gender is what they're going to show the world and express to the world. There's nothing secretive. Right. But anyway, that wasn't a question. That was just. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good point. Both of you know my story pretty much in that no one really knows, and it's very intentional, except for our parents, and even that we really regret doing at this point. Zoe, are you intentional with this sort of thing? Yeah. So with Aster, we didn't think that it would matter. Found out very quickly it did. And so then with Oriole, which is my middle child, and Iva, my youngest, no one has ever changed their diapers. No one's around when they change clothes. Like, we've been very intentional about that just because if for us, as soon as someone found out, then they would start, like, coercively assigning gender mm -hmm. and holding the kids to those stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly why, yeah. That's exactly why I do the same thing now. Because that's hard. I guess one of my questions would be, I can't remember how old your kids are, but how do you manage that? Because that was really my intention. But I found it... So, like, the postpartum period especially so difficult that I needed a lot of help. Um, yeah, how does that work at, like, a preschool if the kids aren't homeschooled? Um, well, for me personally, we're not there yet. 
Um, I'm not sure, but I can tell you that like the only people for us that have seen the baby naked are myself, my partner, and we have two like trusted vetted caregivers that we kind of like had a discussion about privacy with. Mm -hmm. So even our folks haven't like been able to visually confirm what we told them after like an initial, like when my partner was pregnant, like an initial test. Um, But I don't know, maybe Zoe can add because her little ones are a little older. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things, so my kids um, have never, my kids are currently shouting in the back of the car. Um, they've never been in a child care, with a child care provider that wasn't, like, aligned with us values-wise. Right. We just, like, our family hasn't been able to provide child care for us, and that's just been something that we've had to grapple with. Yeah. My kid is, my kid is starting kindergarten in the fall. The way I approached it with the, the preschool is really trying to, have privacy during diaper changes so that the caregivers would know, but I didn't want any of the other parents to know. Right. And to just continue with them reinforcing they, them, they, them, they, them. Those are the pronouns and it gets easier and just practice. Yeah. Yeah. My question for you guys is a little bit, and I don't know if this is good for the podcast, maybe like more sort of private question, but I, one of the things I wonder is about other people's doubts because there's so much media backlash against parenting this way. Yeah. that it doesn't leave room for us to discuss with parents who are parenting the same way about any doubts or worries we have. Right. That and makes sense. Yeah. I know when I was doing research for this episode, it was like any article that I would read that was positive, there would be so many negative attacking comments. And I just found that like shocking because it just seemed like every parent parents differently anyway. So like if you're going to make, you know, this one parenting decision, it it's just like every parent makes parenting decisions. It reminds me of the early like same-sex parent when there was a lot more media hype about that. And mm-hmm. like lesbian parents in particular would have to be like, no, my child is perfect. My parenting is perfect. If there was any doubt or any kind of maybe not less than ideal parenting yeah. there. They worried that it would be blamed on their sexual orientation. Like there's yeah. a standard we have to be perfect and we have to say that everything is amazing all the time it's a great point i haven't thought about it on the larger scale i i thought about it just like i'm super self-conscious about it frankly when, when people just say how's everything going i feel like it's weighted and it could just be in my mind but i feel like it's probably not i have to say things are going okay because everybody thinks i'm doing this thing and it's super progressive and it's kind of like everybody's sitting around watching what's going to happen almost as if I'm conducting some kind of experiment I feel this to basically always say things are going well and there's only a few select people that I feel like I can kind of vent to and say this has been difficult and I have an eight-month-old so I'm sure that that's only going to continue to get more complicated too yeah it's like the first time I'm like kind of vocalizing it I think I definitely feel like it's challenging to balance feeling like confident in who I am and then also feeling like I'm doing the steps that I feel like I need to take to protect my family. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm a community organizer. I've done social justice work most of my life. And I've heard a lot of stories about organizers and activists who part of the way that they've been targeted by, you know, the federal government has been through Child Protective Services, threatening their family, taking their kids away. And so I think the baby piece is just one part of what makes me acutely aware of our difference and Mm -hmm. always kind of calculating, like, you know, do my kids look clean? Do they have, do we look like we're taking good care of our kids? If CPS showed up at my house, would they say that it's a safe place to live? Like, 
I think I worry more about those kinds of things than anything else because it feels so out of our control. And, you know, I think there have definitely been moments where I've just wondered, like, are we doing the right thing? But usually my sense is the answer is yes. Yeah. I also feel like, I mean, things are going well for us. I I tell people it's been a lot easier than I ever expected. But sometimes I do wonder, not about the parenting, not about... But just things like, and this was going to be my other question for you, like, how much do you talk about gender with your kids? Like, sometimes I don't know, um, like, we don't talk about it a lot in our family. We just are, right? We just are interested in things we're interested in. We wear the things we want to wear. We don't really talk about it. Sometimes I'll ask my kid, like, so, like, you know, what pronouns are you using? Or, oh, that, like, especially when it's coming from outside, right? If someone is gendering my kid, I'll say, oh, so um, what's your gender? Are you a boy? Are you, are you a girl? Are you non-binary? Or do you just not want to talk about it? But I don't usually ask those questions very much at home. Yeah. But there is a piece of me that's curious about what my child thinks about all this. Sometimes I'll ask them about their stuffed animals. So my kid got this very pink pastel little dog named Callie. And I asked my kids, so is Callie a boy or a girl or non-binary? And my kid says... I don't know. Let's ask Callie. So Emery mm-hmm. says, Callie, are you, with her cute little voice, are you a boy or a girl or non-binary? Oh, you don't know what non-binary is? Non-binary <laughs> is when you're not a boy or a girl. Oh, you're a girl because you look like a girl? Mama, Callie's a girl because Callie looks like... It was so interesting to me yeah. how the first part was so, like, definitely my teaching, right? True. Like, we can't make it... And the last part was... Callie's a girl because Callie looks like a girl. It was so interesting. That's kind of, that's fascinating. You hear like you're teaching in there. And then at the end of the day, it's like, you can only, only teach so much. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Bobby, any words to add? Any experiences to share? Yeah, yeah. This is the kind of thing that I want to have a continuous open dialogue about in my family continuously talking about it, it being very out in the open. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I guess these are just plans that I haven't like put into practice. Obviously between my partner and I, we are constantly talking about gender, a lot of it because of the way that we're parenting and it just comes up in our day to day so much. Um, but yeah, I look forward to our family being different than maybe um, a lot of other families in that it's not a, um, a hush kind of topic. It's mm-hmm. very open. It's very comfortable it's very safe and that kind of thing. And I got a lot of these ideas. So again, just listening to parents that have been doing this longer than I have. Yeah. The way that we've approached things in our house is that we are having constant conversations about race, gender, socioeconomic class, because it feels like, especially, you know, my kids love to watch movies. My kids are pretty immersed in popular culture at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, knowing that they're getting messages about things from those shows, we also want to make sure that they have tools to have to peek about. And I think that we've really seen it pay off in terms of the conversations that we end up having, you know, like they're just very aware. What kind of questions do you, um, how old is your youngest or in your middle? So my kids are turning five at the end of the month, turning three at the end of the month, and then eight months. Okay. So like what kind of conversation starters do you use with them around gender? Um, So one of the things my partner and I collect children's books that have that deal with important social issues. 
my partner's a teacher and it's just sort of our like passion is to create this library of books that talk about things that are important to us. And so we use books as a lot of our conversation starters. And then in addition to using books, we also just will we'll say like, hey, we watched Frozen today. What did you notice about people who use she, her in Frozen? What did you notice about people who use he, him? Did you notice that there's no they, thems in Frozen? Mm. Just having conversations from there about like... Does everyone that we know that uses she, her pronouns act like Elsa and Anna? Yeah, those are really good questions. Yeah, and so then my kids will say things like, you know, I don't think it's fair that everyone assumes that this person's a girl because they're wearing a dress. What do they know? Adults are really silly for thinking people with long hair are always girls. We talk about bathrooms a lot, too. When we go somewhere and there's only two bathrooms, you know, in my family, there's a mama and a data, and why data goes in that one. And so when I, when we go to a place with two bathrooms, my kid will say, we don't like that, do we? (laughs) And I'll say, no, I don't like that. Everybody should be able to use the bathroom that they feel comfortable in. I was just going to say, I remember when Aster, my oldest, was, I think, like, three years old, and we went into a gender-neutral bathroom, and Aster went, oh, this is the justice bathroom. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I was just going to say, yeah, that this is, I think Zoe also helps me connect my plans with gender and parenting to my already current plans with how we would handle things like race. And like for me, being black, and we have to have like a constant dialogue about what it means for our skin to be darker, mm-hmm. um, how we feel about the police, what do we, like, what do they do, and how have they wronged us, and just things like that. So I feel like this gender open parenting for us has helped me come up with a plan or how I'm going to handle like social justice issues at large. Mm. I guess at, at its core, it's like constant dialogue. And when I think back about how I was raised, which I don't have a lot of problems with, but it wasn't perfect. I, I think that most of the issues that were, were had were just from just like not talking things out. Yeah, the police is a big topic in our house because it is poor and kids around that age are often very obsessed with things with sirens, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fire trucks, ambulance, and police. And my kid is really super interested in jail as well. And I think a lot of this is on TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, my kid will say, I'm going to put you in jail and all this kind of stuff. And so we, we do have a lot of conversations beyond gender. I think one question I had for everyone, and, and we haven't really explicitly stated it on this podcast yet, is that the three of us live in very different places, um, like thousands of miles apart in most cases. And Adine lives in a different country. We've never met in person, but I feel like we've formed a friendship, a camaraderie, and a lot of that's been through social media. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of open it up to talk about like what is the role that social media has played in either supporting and affirming or you know also having really challenging conversations about this kind of parenting like I remember right after Aster was born we announced on social media that we weren't assigning a gender and the way that people responded was like was really rude and harsh in a way that I don't think our friends and family would have responded uh in person to us and at the same time I feel like I've made a lot of my like parent friends are people that I only know on the internet. So I just wanted to see how you two experience that as well. For me, since I had, you know, our our Facebook group and stuff from the beginning, I can't even put into words how crucial like 
social media has been specifically Facebook, specifically Facebook parenting groups, and like even more specifically our little Facebook group that the two of you started. And I mean, it was the first place I landed when I I heard about this through an article. I heard about somebody in Canada parenting in this way, and I and I went out to the the internet and I tried to find more information and I and I came here and it's just been in like an invaluable source of support just by being able to have contact with people that have been doing it a little bit longer and have already kind of experienced and troubleshooted some of the problems that we have faced or we're going to face. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what would happen if a parent that we knew made a post and 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 they received a lot of kickback like that and I feel like we would all go running to that Facebook post and take some of the weight off of their shoulders, combat some of the evil messages and stuff, because it really is like there's like a community that's been formed where we look out for each other, even on small things like that, or at least that's the way I feel. And I know I've done some of that too. Yeah. It's been awesome seeing the Facebook group grow. When I started parenting this way, I only knew one family, family Bobby that you read about in the newspaper. Um, And I, I went out and I sought them out and I, I met them and they were so sweet. They had me over for coffee and I got to ask like a billion questions and like slowly it started picking up. And then I read about another family and I emailed that person and I said, Hey, like I'm thinking of starting this group. Like I think there were eight of us at the beginning. And now I think the membership in that group is about 200. I wish that I had that when I was pregnant and thinking about these mm. things I got such valuable advice from that family who I met in person and that's where I got the idea to do the zine because they had written a letter um, and they said that they wished they beyond doing a letter that they had done more education that was the advice they gave me they said don't assume just because they're your friends and family and they love you that they're going to be on board you need mm. to do education from that idea my partner and I wrote a zine that we shared with people Oh, wow. I really like the idea of doing a zine to give to family and friends. Also, Bobby, sorry, you seemed like you were going to say something. I guess it's important to bring up that it's also like there is some negative that comes with it because it's been like an avenue for people to like pretty aggressively like attack what we're doing, Mm -hmm. specifically like me personally, my partner. So I guess there's good and bad, but I, I feel like the pros outweigh the cons. Yeah. I'm pretty wary of posting anything outside of our community about this. I've been more reluctant to do media stuff, like not social media, but um, we've had a lot of requests lately. And because of the experience of the fa- that first family that I knew here in Toronto who had their child storm, because of their experience with the media, I have not wanted to do anything there. And especially now if you do things there, it ends up on websites and there's all these comments and mm-hmm. I just don't do it. Like the most I'll pretty much say other than in our group will be like, hey, if anyone is thinking of parenting this way, come join our group. Right. Does anyone else have any more questions? Maybe we'll just do a few more. I'm just completely curious about how everybody is constantly interacting with questions about their child's gender slash sex. Yeah. Um, However that question is presented. And, you know, I know for us it's complex. It, it's, it's, it's different based on, obviously, like, is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it somebody that we're going to see down the road? Is it somebody that we're never going to see again? And that all kind of impacts, like, how much time we're willing to put into answering the question and in, in how much depth and if we just want to brush it off. Or specifically, how do you feel these questions when your child is present, too? Okay. 
I'll start with baby toddler and someone we were never going to see again. And they just said, oh, you know, what a cute boy, what a cute girl. I would just say thanks and keep moving. If they said, oh, is it a boy or a girl? I usually just smile and say, oh, we don't know. Smile and again, keep moving. (laughs) (laughs) If it was someone that I would see on a regular basis and I had more time, I might give a I'd say, actually, we're raising every gender open, which means we're letting them decide their own gender. So I guess we'll find out more when they can talk. A couple times I have set a gender went in times that I felt unsafe, time when I had to call um, a health phone line, and I just set a gender because I didn't want to... That, that's similar to, you, I think, you, both of you, yes? It's, it's pretty similar. The only thing is I found that I have a little bit more fight in me lately. This is Okay. I feel like this almost like I'm missing an opportunity to kind of and I and I don't and I'm not suggesting everybody should do this because again it's not always safe comfortable for people to do this but for me it's I feel like oh well I'm missing an opportunity to do like actual one-on-one activism Mm -hmm. around gender right now by kind of brushing this off yeah Uh and so I found myself up for the conversations it's been be tiring um, Have you ever said, why do you want to know? That's one that I would like to try that I never tried. I like I, to be like, oh, why are you interested? I feel like it's leaning in a little aggressive at the, for yeah. the, in the bigger picture. Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely, I got there a couple of weeks ago, but it was after some questioning. It was, hey, is that a boy or a girl? I told them what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. They went on to tell me that this seems seems like it's against God's plan or something like that. Eventually, they were cornered into asking, basically, like, okay, but what, you know, what are their genitals? Then I was a little bit aggressive. It was like, yeah, like, why do you want to know this baby's genitals? And when it was framed like that, they completely were like, like, they had worked themselves into a corner and and felt, like, disgusted with themselves. It was, it was, yeah. I love it. But, um... How have you found, yeah. like, other kids to be with your children who are, like, a little older? Um, I mean, for us, some kids are a little confused when you say, like, they haven't told us yet. We don't know. Yeah. Um, like, they're like, well, but what do you, like, it just, they feel a little confused, but at the same time, they don't care that much. Yeah, that's what I would imagine. And they just kind of keep moving. It's more if the parents make it a big deal, yeah. then the kid feels like it's a big deal. Yeah. Do you feel, like the kid will care more as your children get older? Probably. I mean, I don't know, but probably. Like, we have had a couple experiences where kids at daycare have said, like, oh, boys can't dance, or um, you're not allowed in here unless you're a girl, or, like, those Mm -hmm. kind of things. But I find, like, with language, my kid, and this, you know, this drives me, you know, my feminist self-crazy. My kid calls everybody he. Everybody is he. You know, I always change pronouns in books so that there's she's and there's they's and there's he's. And so most people call my kid he as well. Mm. Um, And I don't know if that's because they're, they think my kid is a boy or if that's because they're also just, they don't have the pronoun thing going on. Um, But in general, like even the older kids, kids who are older than my kid, don't care that much. They're interested, but they don't care very much. Um, Going back to your question, Bobby, about, so people don't usually ask about our kids' gender much these days. They just get assumed. So if someone says something once, like, oh, your son or your daughter, even in front of my kid, I won't really address it. But if they're going, 
you know, good girl, pretty girl. And they're like mm. saying it over and over. Yeah. I'll turn to Emery and say like, how do you feel about being called girl? Like, what, what would you like to be called today? Girl, boy, non-binary. It doesn't seem to bother our kid very much either way. Um, but then just out of the blue, one day we were walking and all of a sudden our kid says, I'm non-binary and I use they. Like, it changes. It changes yeah. a lot. So I think that's part of why I'm not that fussed about what people say. Because, again, as long as they're getting a variety, like being called a variety of different things. Right. Then they still have the ability to, to choose. Well, and I've seen, like, so my oldest, so Astro uses he, him pronouns. And feels, like, no problem wearing, like, princess dress. Like, Aster asked for a bell from Beauty and the Beast gown for... Even though, like, as the kids get older, they have a gender identity, I've noticed Aster's is much more flexible than a lot of other kids that I've seen. And I just, I continue to see Aster, like, critically thinking about gender. Mm. And and so, I, like, I feel like also when kids come up and say, like, oh, you're this or you're that. Like, the other day, Aster crawled up on a, a ledge at the park and was like, I am strong. I am smart. I use he and him. And I wear dresses. <laughs> That's awesome. Does the genitals of your kid affect in any way how you dress your kid? Like, do you find yourselves looking clothes that is deliberately not assigned, not attached to the genitals? And if so, like, how do you think that impacts things? So my mom really wants to have a granddaughter. And so my middle kid is right now, their style is like high femme, like hot pink Minnie Mouse dresses. Yeah. And I think we've had to push a little bit around that. And like sometimes we'll like like dress oil in more like masculine clothes around my mom mm-hmm. because she's so aggressive about like wanting a little princess. Yeah. Because of Leslie's parents were struggling so much and they they know or they think they know the baby's anatomy and um, they were just being so fussy about, you know, we've lived one way for over 60 years. This is so hard. I can't understand the pronoun, blah, blah, blah. We did. We were trying. This is very early on trying to maybe dress them the opposite, traditionally the opposite binary uh-huh. that her folks were um, struggling to get away from. But um, we then realized that I just didn't, I don't, I don't know. I didn't like putting that. I didn't really like doing it. And also how we dress the baby is not going to change the fact that they're just kind of crappy people. So, but the other thing I wanted to add is that, um, so, you know, recently I learned, you know, Zoe had mentioned in the group that they were not like dressing their kids in like, you know, like bro-y outfits. And I feel like it gave, me license to do the same i never thought about it i felt this obligation to dress the baby in all clothes like the whole outfits yeah everything we could find but hearing someone else do that i was like you know what it's okay if there's like an area of of clothing that i just despise that's okay i I mean also like the growy area of clothing definitely kind of like embodies like the worst of gender yeah so yeah, it it just yeah felt good. Yeah, I'm also like not into that. Yeah, well, it's something that Adine said like reminded me of something that I hear a lot in the media about like when people hear or when the stories about babies are coming out. A lot of the time, people hear it as like we're like keeping gender from our kids or we're like constraining them and sheltering them. 
And I actually think that for me, it's much more an experience of giving them as many options as possible. Yeah, it seems like you're all um, having a lot of discourse with your children or like planning on it. So it seems like the absolute opposite yeah, of keeping gender from your My kids are actually probably a lot more exposed to the breadth of identity and of human experience than kids that are raised in like conventional suburban white yeah. middle class homes yeah. um, with, with assigned genders. Totally agree. Like, totally agree. It's, it's so ridiculous because our kid has all the options. They're not always dressed in, like, a baby's yellow and green or whatever the, the gender-neutral color is considered. And the other thing the is... The only animal kid, is just. just right. Dogs. Like, you know, early on, I was sort of a little bit torn around what words do I use for my kid's genitals. So I often call my kid's genitals genitals. Like, mm. I use that as a broad term because everybody has genitals. And my kid usually uses the term genitals, but if we are talking about a specific part of the body, we'll get into more technical words depending on what body part my kid is especially talking about. But if I don't need to name, be very, very specific, I just call it genitals. And so there's some people that think that we're hiding like their, what they usually say is you're hiding their gender from them, you know, but, but my kid knows like about their body parts mm-hmm. and, and they know, anyways, yeah. To add to that, it's why I specifically stay, or I actually will make a point to say, you know, when people are like, oh, I think it's awesome you're doing the gender neutral thing. I've begun to take, I take time out to go, I'm going to, let me be clear when we specifically don't use that term. And here's why, because, and I actually do think that there are some parents and whatever, people can do whatever they want that that are doing something that maybe like to say gender neutral, it would apply. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, it implies like this genderless and whatever the hell that word even means. Like right. kid that we're dressing in like just a, a white button up suit and we don't acknowledge their, <laughs> right, their anatomy. We say that everybody is just a, per- a person. We don't acknowledge anybody else's gender identity. You know, it's just like we're hiding them yeah. from the pretending like gender doesn't exist. And that is definitely the way that it's been painted. And then so a lot of the arguments against what we're doing are are arguing this like false representation of what we're doing. And it's just been wasted energy on my part because I'm, I have to like, yeah, basically correct this information that people have read about what we're doing. But it's why I've gravitated towards the phrase gender open, mm-hmm. which I got solely from a dean. And I don't really hear it used that much. I hear gender creative parenting. But I like gender open because I've had the best success with it with people. It kind of being self-explanatory. Well, it can kind of quickly do the math and go, oh, so yeah, you're like you're leaving their gender open to them yeah. or the, their options open. Everything's open. I just like that term. But yeah, it's about presenting everything. It's everything's an option. All toys, all clothes, all pronouns, all whatever colors all which doesn't mean doesn't mean oh all including really sexist things right Mm -hmm. like yeah the other one that drove me crazy recently was i think it was after the new york article about babies and i can't remember if it was a social media comment or if it was in that thing that was criticizing but saying they're not called babies they're a baby it's like Babies is a cute term. It's not like I, I'm actually like I don't have a baby. I have a baby. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just I, a funny, cute term. It's not like oh, it was so ridiculous that that's what they picked stuff on. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you know you don't really have a pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, oh, 
Zoe, that's a really good rebuttal. It's a really good, like, quick kind of comeback. I regret, I'm not sure if it's my fault. Obviously, I didn't come up with the term, but I think the New York article was where it really took off. And I, I actually really liked the author of the article. We, we really trusted her. We, we, did a, we interviewed her before she interviewed us just to make sure. Um, but, you know, I said it in passing in our first meeting. You know, we, I, I mentioned, oh, you know, you know, sometimes we, we say, I just mentioned, I was like, sometimes for fun, you know, in our community, we say baby or something. And, uh, it's not your fault though, Bobby, like this is in our, and I think it's, it's okay for articles to be called babies as well. As long as like the critic, they know that this is what it is, right? Yeah. It's within our community. Cause it's much shorter than all the other <laughs> ways of using it, mm-hmm. but that they shouldn't take it so seriously right. that they think, that we don't know that a baby is a baby or something like right. that. But it's not your fault, Bobby. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so that was a pretty kind of crazy situation where I guess like Bobby used the term baby in right. this interview yeah. and then it blew up online where people were like, <laughs> These crazy liberal parents uh, don't even know what a baby is. They call their kids babies. Um, oh my god, Tucker Carlson, go home. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. So, yeah, that's wild. But I, I think that also just stresses, like, after having that experience, how lucky we are to have had Bobby on this show and Adina and Zoe as well. Like, and yeah, so I'm so grateful for them for coming on the show. They yeah. just had wonderful insight, and I think really like made me consider this form of parenting is like super valuable even if you're not necessarily raising your kid gender open the way that they Mm -hmm. are um there's definitely a huge privilege in in having the kind of like financial situation where it's like safe enough that you can raise your kid this way and like they're obviously going to a school where like they're not like gonna be like real maybe yeah. like kind of like physical danger definitely okay like bull- you can never stop bullying i think right. but uh, potentially yeah, definitely. Yeah. and the fact that their community is kind of open to it and receptive mm-hmm. to it i think is, is another yeah. part of that privilege another yeah component yeah. Of it. yeah yeah definitely i mean i think too like when we look at the kind of profile that the media creates of this especially with like the frenzy around like babies oh my god you know liberals are out of control <laughs> it's like perfect for them to see a kid like Zoomer and Zoomer's family who are like, you know, this like beautiful, like conventionally attractive white family who mm-hmm. like have built a brand yeah. on raising their kid this way. Totally. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that like, maybe part of what we're trying to do here by creating this episode is like showing that it doesn't have like, yeah. you don't have to like build a brand off of your toddler to yeah. like but i don't think like these parents are no exactly yeah. exactly and that's why i think it's like but i really... think some of the more famous earlier parents exactly. it does seem mm-hmm. like that and exactly. maybe that ended up happening or maybe that right. was an initial intention absolutely but i think maybe also because it was such a rare kind of thing it did exactly for some parents like also there's this family storm in Canada. yeah like, i yeah i was just reading about Canada them where yeah. it's just like yeah just yeah ended up becoming kind of a branded Exactly. Thing. But I do think as this form of parenting gets more, yeah, um, like, I guess, normalized, right. um, it, yeah. the kids aren't going to be as, as no. branded as Exactly. They, they and were. that'll yeah. be, right, and that it'll be, like, less shocking and less, no. 
of like a literal like social media campaign to sell <laughs> your parenting method. So yeah, I'm really excited to see how this, I don't know, moves forward in our lifetimes and like mm-hmm. seeing yeah. our friends get older and our peers, like how many will sort of adopt this style of parenting, how many will adopt like parts of it. Yeah, I, I think, think there's definitely fun. parts of it that I like yeah. unquestionably would adopt. Yeah. Um, I think Zoe talks about when they read with their kids Mm -hmm. kind of afterwards talking about like the gender dynamics within the book or like after having got seen like Disney movies where like gender stereotypes are so so crazy um being like what did you notice about the female identifying characters oh they all like had long hair and wore dresses Um, and like being like, why is that? Do we actually Mm -hmm. see that all the time? And just having this kind of like constant dialogue with my kid about things like gender. And like, as Bobby said, letting that extend into like topics like race as well. Um, I think is something that I would like unquestionably steal. Yeah, I totally agree. That's huge. And it's like such a cool way of raising your child to be like analytical and, and in being vulnerable and transparent with them as a parent and kind Mm -hmm. of like through this undoing the really weird power structure of like the authoritarian parent to like their child who is like their subject you know yeah like, i completely agree yeah it kind of allows so the cool question to... the child to like kind of question their own world but through yeah. a way that's like not as scary like, exactly through, like, like safe and guided through and... movies through books like through a way mm-hmm. that's like really accessible to them but also like yeah. still kind of builds like that yeah kind of thinking definitely them. and i think so. like obviously I don't have kids yet and I have a feeling that like climate change will oh no I don't to all the viewers at home don't have any secret babies but um, like if climate change doesn't like you know ruin us all first and if it's like not terrible to have kids by the time I get around to doing so like at least in the meantime I like teach uh elementary school students in a synagogue and like thinking about the ways that like I can bring these lessons into my classroom is really valuable. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. No, and on that note, a couple of years ago, I um, was working at the summer camp mm-hmm. and a lot of parents didn't like adopt this framework of raising their child uh-huh. necessarily, but there were a lot of kids who were adopting like kind of a gender non-conforming identity. Like they yeah. would come to camp like perform gender one way one day and then the next day another yeah. way and yeah. they would use different pronouns ever like when they felt like it and they would yeah. let us know like what they were comfortable doing mm-hmm. what they weren't comfortable doing like with which bathroom they wanted to use and they like mm-hmm. were really sure. open about like what yeah kind of they, like the choices that they wanted to make like while they were at the camp and I thought that was really interesting that people were raising their kids that way all right so we're gonna move on to our next guest who Ooh. is researcher Ben Kenward and I'm like a bullhorn. <laughs> 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 you don't even need a musical transition. Just that. <laughs> yeah, Justin and I do all just the air horns. <laughs> 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 uh, my name's Ben Kenward. I'm I'm a senior lecturer in psychology at Oxford Brookes University in the UK, but I was a researcher in psychology at Uppsala University in Sweden. Yeah, so you did this one study that is kind of of particular interest to this episode, and it's called Early Preschool Environments and Gender, Effects of Gender Pedagogy in Sweden. And so, yeah, to my understanding, I talked with one of your colleagues a little bit over email, you've spent some time in gender-neutral preschools in Sweden. Sweden is one of the most gender-equal societies in the world in kind of areas of economic, politics, education, and health. 
So I wanted to hear a little bit about what exactly a gender neutral preschool environment looks like because um, I've never seen one and how maybe they're different from a more traditional preschool in Sweden and kind of what the goal sure. of these gender neutral preschools is. Yeah, actually, I think the first thing I want to say is that even a typical preschool in Sweden it might be a little bit different in some ways to uh, preschools that, for example, North American listeners might be used to, because almost all children in Sweden do go to preschool, mm. like but from about the age of two onwards. There's a nationally mandated gov- uh, government curriculum for these schools, which explicitly says that all preschools, the girls and the boys should be treated identically and that they should be encouraged to take part in activities. So, and that's this is obviously part of uh, what you've already recognized which is mm-hmm. that sweden is a relatively uh, gender egalitarian society although it obviously as every society uh, does ha- still has quite a long way to go yeah uh, in, in reaching uh, gender equality but i've actually i visited only two different preschools in sweden that mm-hmm. would describe themselves as well actually they're happy with the term gender neutral when, when you use it, but that's not actually the term they themselves use. Okay. What they normally use is a term that would translate as norm conscious, I, uh, I suppose. Yeah. And But anyway, we'll, we'll call them gender neutral for now. They vary themselves quite a lot because there's, for example, just like within feminism, there are very many different political streams and the debates between them can get quite heated. Mm-hmm. There's different ways to, to do this kind of thing, different motivations and you see those so one of the schools that i've visited on the surface it it doesn't look that much different in fact i talked to a parent who had their child at that school who didn't know that 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 school was uh, identifying in this way and and was Mm. using this form of pedagogy whereas Mm -hmm. the other school that i visited there's no way that you wouldn't get uh, the impression that this school's a little bit different i mean i guess i could say it almost felt a bit like visiting a hippie commune or something Uh like that to to, to go into school (laughs) but i think common to them all is that what they're trying to do is de-emphasize the importance of gender as a construct that the children Mm -hmm. should feel they need to be confined by. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to reduce the attention that children pay to gender as a construct. So as an example would be, they don't refer to children as boys or girls. You know, they're classic because just by saying boys and girls, you're you're indicating that there's some distinction be- yeah. b- b- between them that's important. Yeah. So it's not so much denying that gender exists and trying to neutralize it as opposed to just reducing it as like a really important or prominent social Exactly. I think category. that's totally their program. Of course it's important because one politically motivated criticism might be that they're trying to eradicate gender or they're trying to make boys be girls or they're trying to make boys wear dresses they're trying to make girls play with toy guns even though they don't want to like that's all nonsense that really doesn't happen Mm -hmm. at all it's simply that they're trying to to remove anything from the environment that that signals that certain things are appropriate for boys and certain things are appropriate for girls and and or that signals that it's important to identify as one or the other Uh uh-huh yeah well i think this was kind of one of my later questions but it's coming up now but I think the term gender neutral itself is a term that sounds like it's trying to like neutralize or destroy gender yeah well that might be one reason why they don't themselves use that term although Mm -hmm. it's it's become the term that's attached to these preschools yeah exactly and that came up in the discussion that I was having with some parents who were using like gender open parenting that they had some problems with 
the way that term is often interpreted. But they are quite, I mean, but I don't want your listeners to, to think that, that they're not pretty hardcore about this. Yeah. They are pretty hardcore. And, and, and many of the teachers will go as far as to like entirely avoid using gender pronouns, for mm-hmm. example. So <laughs> it depends what you mean by hardcore, right? But, but yeah. that, that will seem to many people as being somewhat extreme. Yeah. But, but, and uh, Sweden has, their, has a pronoun that's gender neutral. That's right. I don't think anyone's entirely sure exactly where it cropped up, but I think probably about 10 years ago, it became a thing that most people started to become aware of. Uh, just a couple of years ago, there was a fascinating study that came out that just tracked longitudinally people's acceptance of this pronoun. Mm-hmm. So what this study found was that uh, within five years, the the attitude of the of the average person in the Swedish population went from negative to positive. Initially, people thought that the jet tended to think that this was an unnecessary politically motivated invention whereas nowadays most people even if they don't necessarily use the word themselves think it's a, a good thing that, that the word exists because they can see good reasons and newspapers like mainstream newspapers will use it because frankly even if you don't give a damn about gender politics the, the existence of the need to write he or she when you're writing uh, writing things down, it's just a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. So people accept it by and large because it's a very convenient thing to have. I have a comment. I'm, I want to give you a personal opinion now because I've worked with this in Sweden. I follow what goes on in uh, in North America with uh, gender pronouns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's here's a highly personal thought. So you can you can take this with a pinch of salt if yeah, you want. Of but I've seen people struggling to get acceptance for non-standard pronouns in in North America. I, I've seen this whole you know these are my pronouns thing, and people go, oh my god, you expect me to be able to modify my speech to use your pronouns? The difference in Sweden, perhaps because. It, in a sense, it's a very individualistic society, just like America, but it has a history of being a very collectivistic society as well. And I think some of that collectivism is still there. So rather than taking the approach, everyone's got the right to their own pronouns, mm. whatever they are. I'm going to invent my own pronouns to reflect my own identity. Everyone's just like, OK, let's just have one new pronoun that works for yeah. everyone, irrespective of who they are. That just makes it so much more simple. So I actually have a message to uh, <laughs> to the, the sort of gender pronoun warriors in, in North America. Fine, let's let's not have have to have pronouns that confine you in a way you don't want to be confined. But let's just all settle on a one in mm-hmm. English, can we? And I I think just like in Swedish, we'll have more success then. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, yeah. All right. So can I? was wondering a little bit about the psychology, like how do children begin to see gender as a prominent and important social category? And then you've talked a little bit about this, but so these preschools won't use the gender pronouns as much. Um, But yeah, how do they intend to kind of interfere and influence this process? Yeah, this is perhaps a good time to talk about some of the main results of the study uh, because they speak directly to that question. So what what makes this study particularly useful? The fact that we took an approach where we compared children who went to a, a gender neutral preschool with children who were more typical preschools, but as matched as possible in in terms of demographics in in all other ways. So what this, this study isn't just a kind of sort of case study or a, mm-hmm. a or, or a qualitative in investigation. It's, we've gone in and quantified the children's attitudes in a way that lets us statistically compare them with attitudes uh-huh. to children in typical preschools. And we find no difference when it comes to the way that they 
notice people's gender and, mm -hmm. and, and remember their gender. It's already known from a bunch of other studies that children begin to notice gender and use gender as a way of categorizing people from, a, from the second year of life, really. This, this is something that they notice and use. So basically, you found that in both preschools, there's no difference in how kids like look at someone and, and are kind of immediately thinking this person is a boy or a girl or like... Yeah, to cut a long story short, very little difference uh -huh. at all and, and no difference in how they remember the gender of individuals, mm -hmm. whether, whether they remember it or, or forget it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if, if you think about it, imagine you've just met a new person and, you know, you're remembering something about that person. One of the first things you're likely to remember, like it or not, is their gender. It's a very salient thing for most people. Yeah. Some of us are able to train ourselves to break out this way of thinking, may maybe. Um, but for most individuals, it will just be naturally one of the first things they consider when, yeah, they, when they remember a particular individual. And we found that that was no different for the children. But we did find noticeable differences in, in the way that the children use gender. Mm. That, so this is the other part of the main results. Children at the gender-neutral preschool they're more likely to say that they'd be willing to play with someone who's of the different gender to them. Kids do assort by gender very much yeah. from an early age. These children at the gender neutral preschool, they're more willing, to, they're more open to the idea of playing with children of different genders. And the other main result is that they have less stereotyped ideas about what are uh, appropriate activities for for children to get involved in. So they're less likely to say, for example, that you know, a, a doll is for a girl and a, a truck is, is for mm. a boy. This is like not proven by this first relatively small sample sized mm. study, but but it indicates that this is a, 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 a fruitful direction for future study. The idea that what's most effective about the, the gender pedagogy is not necessarily actually that we are trying to make it so people don't notice gender. It, I suspect, my hunch, it's not probably not realistic to create a world where someone's gender isn't a salient thing that you notice and remember. Yeah. But what we can do is create a world where people feel like they can do whatever regardless of their gender mm -hmm. and where they don't expect things of other people on account of, of their gender. Right, so kind of That's, removing... So I, yeah, I'm starting to blend in my own politics here yeah. on top of my scientific observations, but I think I think this is supported by, by the evidence. So it's more reducing kind of like the limits and boxes placed on yeah. people by their gender as opposed to having a society where people aren't noticing or aware of gender. Yeah. One of the, the findings in your study that I was kind of interested in and wanted to hear a little bit more about is the study found that um, girls are more aware of gender stereotyping than boys. I wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on why that might be. Yeah, so our results do suggest that. And I think it's simply... I mean, our, our study wasn't really, there was, there was some indication that, that perhaps that the boys are, are more affected by the gender neutral preschooling than the girls are, that the girls perhaps have a tendency to get the stereoty stereotypical like, uh, gender attitudes anyway. It might be that girls, because they're just developing a bit faster, a bit more socially aware, uh, they are absorbing the cultural norms faster than uh, than the boys are and the cultural norms even in sweden are that you know there are some differences between men and women that it's just the school right that the child's yeah. only there for kind of half the day 
And meanwhile, the, the child is surrounded by the rest of society, which is heavily gendered. Mm. So, so yeah, it's not it's not surprising that the schools have a modest effect on on the children's behaviour because they're all exposed to more or less the same like external society. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I do wonder if it's because sexism is against women, and so girls are picking up on that more than boys, even from such an early age. I don't know if that is true, but it's seems plausible to me um but yeah it was interesting because I was doing like a little bit of recording in like an airport before the beginning of this episode and I was asking pretty young kids just what their gender was and what um that meant to them and it it was like almost all of the girls compared being a girl to being a boy almost none of the boys did that Ah, uh, yeah, man is default. That's that's also a standard result from psychology. Like there are there are studies that have looked at you know if you just give someone a, st- a story about someone where you don't specify gender, people will ha- make or unconsciously make a strong assumption that the the person in the story is is male, even yeah. though it hasn't been yeah. stated. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the one about? Uh, oh, what is that story? Okay, I'm gonna stop rambling now. You're definitely <laughs> about. Is it about a surgeon who's operating on someone or something like that? Um, is it? It's like. Oh. But it's impossible. It sounds like it's impossible. It's got to be a family. There's got to be a family relation involved. Yeah, it's I, like, I feel um, like I've heard this. Yes, yes, yes. Right? I just found yeah. it online. Okay, it says, um, um, a father and son are in a horrible car crash that kills the dad. The son is rushed to the hospital. Just as he's about to go under, the surgeon says, I can't operate. That boy is my son. Explain how this could be possible. Ah, there you go. So, um, so yeah, and that that always... Like that always makes people kind of do a double take. Yeah, how is that possible? And then obviously, if you've got any brains, you'll eventually go, "Oh yeah, it's the mother." But still, the fact that it makes you do a double take is just goes to show. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this article says that people are really likely to just to instead of even going to a mother to say that that there's another dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gay dads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know? Do you know about the uh, get the the gay nannies in, in in Sweden? Have you have you seen that? No, that, that was I a haven't. bit of a meme on the internet for a bit. So we <laughs> get what what about where? What's with all the gay nannies in Sweden? Some American person that that went to 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 Stockholm or somewhere else in Sweden and, and just like tweeted something like, "What's with all the gay nannies in the in Sweden?" And what they hadn't realized is that. In Sweden, it's normal for father to be like pushing their child in when the mother isn't even around. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I think something that the interview with Ben Kenwood brought up a little bit was like maybe how far can this type of parenting slash schooling go mm-hmm. if the parents themselves are very straight very cis and like yeah kind of affirming like gender binaries in their Mm. gender presentations yeah Yeah, definitely yeah I feel like that's always a question that I have and like obviously that's not to say like any ill intent on the parent that's not an indictment on the parent in any way but like obviously me as a cis person I like have a lot of privileges that I get from reinforcing the gender binary in ways that Mm -hmm. I like don't even see and so like I don't know how I would be able to like undo that for and with a child from Mm -hmm. my position of like constantly benefiting from it and like as an adult reinforcing it and I don't 
I don't know how parents who are cis and straight, like, figure that one out. Cool. So, okay. (laughs) So, we dropped these two episodes at once, this gender open parenting episode and um, friend breakups on the same day. Woo! It's a big day for us. We got a big concert concert at our school coming up. Yeah, we do. Um, we got Let's our go. bunch Wesleyan of Wesleyan University. We're touring. Come it's from podcast. Um, it's podcast yeah, we're gonna go on tour in the spring. Um, um, but anyway, in the future, we're, this is gonna take a bi-weekly schedule, meaning That's every good. other Thursday you're gonna get a new episode. Um, maybe also sometimes we'll drop some little like bonus episodes or some little like I've been making some kind of like fun sound clips as like teasers for episodes so look out for those as well (laughs) (laughs) we live to tease (laughs) (laughs) so we also wanted to say or basically a dean has this facebook group called parenting babies using they them pronouns for kids from the start more geared towards people who are like planning on parenting that way also (laughs) a dean was so lovely and shared a zine that she had made that she kind of mentioned in this episode with us so that is on our website yeah so since this is our an early episode we're just getting out there we would Big time appreciate it if you tell a friend about this episode or, like, write a review on iTunes. That's, like, one of the biggest ways um, to get more people to listen is, like, by word of mouth and people reading positive reviews and seeing positive reviews. Five-star reviews only. I think think a quote that applies here is really well is if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. (laughs) Also, sponsor us. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm down to promote waste traders. I'm down to promote fit tea i'm not to promote any kind of dumb fucking product you have i'm ready to sell out That's i'm not a business man i'm a business man a one a two a one two three four thank you for listening to our podcast, podcast unwind the line this podcast is produced by me ali fam our technical support comes from the one and only red feather studios Woo! big big thanks to ben saldage Music in this podcast was produced by Jonah Preston. And our theme song was produced by Isaac Price Slade. And if you enjoyed either of their musical performances on this episode, then you can find more information and more of their music um, on some links on our website, unwindtheline.podbean.com. If you have something to say to us, say it to our email, unwindthelinepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website if you're bored and want more episode information, or if you want to buy some pretty sweet hand-printed tote bags. If you're still listening at this point, when the episode is really over, you should... Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Our Instagram handle is... Unwind the line.